Welcome to Dig This, a podcast about using archaeology, heritage, and business to do some good in this world. I'm Jenny. And I'm Amanda. Join us in a guest or two as we reevaluate and decolonize our work, our relationships, and our values. We're recording from the unceded territory of the Shimshan Nation, the Kitsilis people in Terrace, BC and also recording from Bowser, BC. In the beautiful unceded territory of the Qualicum First Nation. This is our gratitude season where we're showcasing and celebrating and talking with and about our team members. Before we begin today, a note to our listeners that today's episode talks about trauma, sexual assault, and residential schools at different points. Please refer to the show notes for time codes where these topics are, as well as resources if you experience any triggers while you're listening. Hi, Amanda, and welcome to our podcast. Yay! Yay. I am so thrilled to be able to chat with you. Um, You're one of my oldest friends. um, And we have had times when we're very much in contact. And we've had times where life causes other things to take precedence. And now we're in a time of renewed contact. And that's the wonderful thing about old friendships, that you can do that and then pick it up. And it's like no time has passed. Yeah. (laughs) So um, I'll introduce you. So we have Amanda Palmer, who is an archaeologist, but not just an archaeologist, lots of different aspects. And I find that sometimes when we apply those labels, they can be quite limiting to what we actually do and what we're actually interested in. I've been reflecting upon labels a lot lately. Um, And I wonder if you wanted to introduce yourself, say where you're joining us from. I'm joining from Edmonton, Treaty 6 Territory. Nice. And so you're relatively new to that area at this time yes. in your life. I've only been at Edmonton since July. Right. And so you spent much of your life in BC, but you weren't always in BC, if I remember correctly. Most of my life in BC. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so did you want to talk about how you found yourself um, engaging in archaeology in the past? And then it'll tie in to the time you and I were dinosaurs at an archaeological site, which actually probably speaks to a coping strategy of a very stressful situation. Yeah, Yeah. I remember being, yeah, that's exactly what we were doing, wasn't it? Yeah. So just like how I ended up in archaeology? Yeah, I'm curious. I I love I love kind of origin stories. It can, you know, talk about archaeology as the chapter or it can talk about archaeology as a chapter in your origin story. So I went to university right out of high school and I was young. I was like 17 and I went for contemporary dance, fine arts at SFU Mm -hmm. because I'm also a dancer. And so I was doing that. And somewhere along the way, my roommate took archaeology 101 and I decided to take it too as like a breadth requirement because it was like at a convenient time (laughs) story Um, of so many people getting into the I really enjoyed it I thought it was interesting shout out to Bob Muir he's a great teacher yeah Bob's great and then I started deciding oh I guess I need a minor I'll do some more and I really liked it somewhere along the way I decided that I didn't want dance to be a career because it was no longer fun and Somehow just was like, oops, I guess I'm doing archaeology. 
And then you actually went pretty deep into the field, not just in terms of a profession, but you went on and did your graduate degree, I think at yeah. Toronto, right? University at of Toronto. Toronto. I did my master's at Toronto and was going to go on to do a PhD. And then I was like, oh, I'm out. I'm out of academia. Good call. <laughs> terrible, <laughs> terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then at that point, I decided to make some money and go into consulting. Uh, so what about the time I met you, I guess. That's right. So would it be fair to say that it's not like you set out and strongly pursued archaeology? Is it fair to say then it was kind of like a path that you found yourself on? Yeah, I knew that I wanted a career that had some adventure and had time outside and I like mucking around in the dirt. And so it was seemed like a reasonable fit. But yeah, it was a total fluke. Were there still ways that you were feeding the creative side of you at that point? Or were there parts of yourself you had to leave dormant in order to go ahead with archaeology? That's a good question. Yeah, I think so. I think at that time, like coming into the field, it's such a insular, immersive, immersive, encompassing thing uh, socially and career-wise and I think it did make me lose contact with other parts of myself, other people I knew, other things I was interested in. And I don't think at the time, I was very young also, I was aware of that. But in retrospect, absolutely. So can we talk a little bit like what uh, what your life was looking like career-wise, work-wise, experience-wise, as you came out of um, like the education context? So how are you continuing to engage with archaeology once you left school and, and what, what did that look like? Uh, yeah, once I left school, like once I finished my MA and ejected from the possibility of being a PhD. There's a lot of people who thought that I shouldn't do that and I should absolutely do all this academic stuff, but I think that was a good move. Yeah, I ended up trying to get a consulting job. I ended up with Golder and Kamloops even though I didn't have a driver's license, but I think they hired me without realizing that. Right. They helped me learn to drive. And then I was there for a bit, but I worked all over. I mean, I was kind of bumping around. And then I left I left Golder. Amanda had left Golder at that point. Amanda Marshall, you know, yeah. Amanda Marshall from Golder. And Amanda was like, hey, you should come up to Terrace and help me do some stuff. And I was like, okay, that'd be fun. And then the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And so that's kind of one of our intersection points. And then we also intersected um, through work through SFU. So I had been a research assistant at SFU and I was working under Brian Hayden at the Keatley Creek site. So the mid Fraser site, 2006, 2007, I think was when I was at Keatley Creek. And and a lot of um, people who went on in archaeology were there at Keatley Creek when we were there. Mm, yeah. Right. And it's a beautiful site. It's quite a magical site, um, but it was also pretty intense. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was intense. And, we'll, and we're, we're going to we're going to come back to that. Like so many archaeologists at that time, we were trying to hobble together. Yeah. Um, both like a career and a life at the same time. And neither, I, I would feel that never um, were both of them successful at the same time. It was like no. kind of one or the it other was, at any time. Yeah. And I mean, like you, I was a subcontractor. So picking up contracts and it was a crazy, crazy time, crazy schedule. Yeah. 
And so at one, at one time, like as we were getting clans off the ground, we were all living up at Amanda's farm in Terrace and yeah. various bedrooms. I had my tent trailer at one point. We would have, you know, various partners who would visit us at different times if, if that was something we were doing in our life at that time. And then other times we wouldn't, it just would be all work. And then traveling up, I'm thinking like Bear Lake, north of Prince George, and then traveling up to Rupert and all of these kind of transient yeah. things. I was all over. And I feel like throughout those years, pre-Clanza and then all the other places I was working, like I did not have a home base. No. I was living out of that matrix, really. Yeah. And and one thing I know about you um, is home is very important, right? Like. Yeah that's a very important thing, very important to me too. But it's another thing I think that many archaeologists have to put on hold, like this idea of home and roots when we're doing this. Yeah. And at that point, I was young, and I I loved the idea of adventure and all these experiences, but in retrospect, at a cost to. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There are things that I was loving about this period, right? Like you said, the adventure and the travel. I loved whom I was with. I was with like some of my best friends. Um, But now looking back at it, I realized that there was probably some quite unhealthy aspects of that lifestyle. Yeah. And I think it's that insular uh, culture. Like you're so in this group of people in this culture, you know, just the lifestyle of it. You don't have many friends outside of archaeology it's we have no and like and and it's like I can't be drinking too much everyone else is drinking the same amount as me yeah it's like this behavior must be totally normal because everyone around is doing it and it's not until later in life where you're outside of that that you're like "Hmm." yeah I, I can't be working too much no one else around me is taking a day off or I can't be you know like it was basically you're in a bit of an echo chamber with other people who are also immersed in what can be this very unhealthy uh, lifestyle. And I think later in life, I realized that that lifestyle at that time, at that age, we were, it didn't have breaks, like it didn't have room for any sort of reflection at no. all. No. So any stressful things that happened to us, which there were many, um, there was no way to process that. Right. Or, or exactly. to reflect on it or to integrate it. I think it just spiraled. Right. So when, when did you realize, I guess the first thing that, you know, this wasn't working out or I'm not sure how you would categorize. I want to be careful. I'm never putting words in your mouth, but was there, was, was there ever like a transformation in terms of how you regarded yourself and as well as the career path that you found yourself on? In retrospect, I wish that the culture that we had come up in you know, I'd had the knowledge or the the modeling or the mentorship to realize, holy, I'm experiencing severe burnout. But yeah. while that was happening, I never once thought that. Right. Like, I didn't even know what was going on. Right. So uh, what had to happen for you to be able to um, have that reflection, have that space? Because there is no space when you're immersed in something. And like you said, you don't know you don't know that there's no space because it just feels like what you're in. What changed then? Because I went from that period to immediately having two children in quick succession, which is also not a time for reflection and space. No, and also immersive and, and quite also smothering burn. and yeah. also burnout and no sleep and like yeah, all so of those similar things. Probably not until my youngest was 
three-ish and there was like a possibility to think about myself. Yeah. There was a time then where you stepped away from archaeology. Yeah. I'm like equal parts nervous and um, sensitive to this topic because I'm feeling very closely the things you're talking about, but also being like, these are really hard things to talk about. So you've been working in archaeology for years, and and it was at a time where I think that talking from personal experience, talking to other people, it was a really stressful time. We didn't not have a culture of a work-life balance in archaeology like that. There weren't a lot of boundaries. Personally, I found it hard to date uh, at that at that time, right? You see, scoff. You were there. I was there. <laughs> you remember? I had a hard time with dating at that time. <laughs> um, you know, there was a lot of drinking culture. There was a lot of like missing birthdays and like not seeing parents and all of that. And at one point you stepped back from archaeology um, and cho- and chose to focus a different direction. Can you tell us about the direction that you were focusing? I stepped away to parent young kids for right. a good eight years. Yeah. Um, and I think when I stepped away, I was like, oh, you know, I'll take a little break and I'll come back part time after my maternity. And then I was like, oh no, burnout takes a little longer than that to deal with. Now I'm I'm slowly re-entering archaeology again in a much uh, more thoughtful, gentle way. Right. And I think with some boundaries as with well. Boundaries, yes. Was it a very hard decision to even just contemplate going back? Or by that point, you'd come to, come to terms with it? No, it was a hard decision to contemplate going back because I, I did not think I would. I absolutely didn't think I would. I didn't think you would either, to be totally honest. I was like, Amanda is not coming. Okay, I'll write a few reports, but like not really Mm -hmm. here. And then it feels like slowly I'm feeling more and more comfortable, still with some pretty strong boundaries, but even feeling like there's a possibility I could do field work in again is like boundaries with boundaries and and all that. Like that is didn't think I'd get there. Have you created small spaces that allow you to make sure you're taking care of yourself? Yeah, I have. And I think I'm at a point in my life now where I have that space and I have that support in my personal life. I'm at a point in my life where I like, I have more skills to put boundaries in place. (laughs) Um, Advocate for yourself. Yeah. And I think part of being able to come back to archaeology and slowly feel like I can, I guess, reintegrate has been to reflect on the earlier chapter that was so unhealthy. Right. Doing that in a way that feels like it's hard to do, but it's important to do. And by me doing it and speaking it, it can be positive change for others. Absolutely. I wonder if we could talk about what the culture was in archaeology. And in particular, I'm talking about supports for early career archaeologists, because we basically are removed from our supports when we go into the field early on. Um, You know, we're removed from our support networks, we're out of our homes, we don't have homes. Want to talk about that kind of culture for those supports, as well as things like mental health supports, um, and how culture surrounding mental health exists or doesn't exist or, or whatnot in archaeology. So what 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 can you say about that topic? As we've alluded to before, there was a real, it was a very insular culture uh, in terms of just the nature of the work makes it so you're really only interacting with archaeologists. Your whole social world, your whole dating scene. (laughs) Or lack of. (laughs) Or lack of. (laughs) We've also alluded to there's a big culture of drinking. Mm Mm-hmm. 
huge culture of drinking. Huge culture of drinking. And I think almost feeling, especially as a young person, that like to be accepted and to be successful, to be taken seriously, I had to pound scotch mm. and be good at that. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What do you think would have happened? Um, you can. It doesn't have to be about you particularly, but for mm-hmm. anyone, like if someone had held up their hand and said, I'm burnt out, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, what would that have been like, do you think? There was a real culture of just like almost toughness, like mm, just like yeah. laugh it off and move on. And like, you have to be gritty to be an archaeologist. You got to be gritty. You got to be, you know, uh, venturing and be able to deal with all these things and almost this ex- expectation of like, of course, these things are happening. Yeah. yeah. I had, I 100% was impacted by that. I 100% was like, I have to be able to, you know, drink four Guinnesses, be able to do whatever it is, change the tire on the truck, and then tomorrow morning, get up, do it all over again, hungover, and like somehow do this excellent job. Yeah. And then be like, really tough. And laugh it off. Yeah. Laugh off. There wasn't a culture where I felt like there was any support or mentorship or ability to speak up or even to, I wouldn't even have occurred to me to, to speak up about harassment or anything like that. And that's the other part, which I find very difficult to talk about, but it's come up in a few episodes with other women is the culture of machismo and sexual abuse and sexual um, harassment that I experienced. As uh, did I very, very much, very much from a very young age. Absolutely. Absolutely. And witnessing what I now know to be sexual abuse, what I now know to be rape yep. at sites and not knowing what to call it, not knowing how to categorize it and having no leadership on these sites that I could go to in a way that I felt anything would be done. Yeah, it's hard to talk about, but it's so important it is. to talk about. It is. We did an episode with uh, a panel of six other women across Canada. And I think without exception, they'd all either first or secondhand experienced it. For myself, I've experienced sexual assault and harassment in an archaeology context. And I suspect that's true of most women in our generation. Absolutely. Myself as well have experienced that and not feeling that I could talk about it not feeling like, who was I going to go to the male director who was essentially appearing to do similar things? And there was no role model, an older person being like, oh, this is how they're dealing with it. Or I hear them speak out. That lack of knowledge, especially as a very young person. Yeah. Um, as you were saying, it wasn't until much later in life that I was like, oh, that that was sexual assault. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what that was. That's that that was. And that's why these experiences have this huge impact on people's careers and lives and everything going forward. And one of the things that I'm learning about, and and I'm very much learning this, this is a new topic for me, but the idea of trauma-informed contexts. And so what I'm learning is that was a traumatic context for me. And then it was also probably evidence of previous trauma having happened to people who were then through their trauma re-traumatizing and re-traumatizing and so on and then it's this chain that happens and I think that archaeology as a culture creates this perfect environment for those 
uh, things to happen. It's isolation, no supports, away from home. No, no room for reflection. No room for reflection. Uh, substance abuse and alcohol. Yeah, people are drunk and high. And then um, power dynamics and huge power dynamics. We're trying to play to like tight budgets, tight, tight timelines, which then we use as an excuse for powering through the situation. Like, oh, we only have so many days when really what we need to do is go into town and step away. And I think there's something really important about the isolation and the remoteness and how vulnerable that makes people something that happens in that context can be processed so much more as trauma because there there is no support there it's scary because you can't get away exactly and then sometimes the power role the person that you go to is at worst the perpetrator or at best the enabler yeah or it's a scenario where the perpetrator of harassment yeah is in a power role is like a client and you're isolated and like what do you do um, right this is obviously hard to talk about it is hard and, it's important and, it's triggering yeah it's very triggering for a lot of people this will resonate like the, unfortunately i don't feel that we were the exception i think oh. that the culture that archaeology was existing within we can look at it on a big scale or a small scale but it it is about power and it's about exploitation that's what i mean that's what the historical archaeological context is and so we probably shouldn't be so surprised when we realize it's infiltrated our personal relationships and individual level i know for me it's like greatly affected my life history and my career and so many things can we talk a little bit about you know our recoveries from that time i don't mean in a personal sense i mean in a way of providing a model of a path out of that it was important for me to learn kind of more about this broader definition of trauma i guess in our culture it's just like people are thinking trauma is like hugely bad but i think learning more about it in terms of a traumatic experience is kind of anything, especially it could be a small repeated experience that's beyond your capacity to kind of for your system to process at that time. Like acute systemic tra trauma, as opposed to like one chronic incident, yeah. both trauma, um, both impactful, both damaging, but a different process. Yeah. And also learning how trauma gets stored in a person in, in their bodies. body. It could be a really bad incident, but if there was care and reflection coming out of it, that's not going to you know, be stored as trauma the same way as something where it's just like powered on to the next thing. Forget about it. These stressful experiences, especially when they weren't, uh, there wasn't any space or support or culture around debriefing it or reflecting on it or getting care for it. Yeah, there's something about empowering about realizing it's like, yeah, that is something that needs reflection and care now. Uh, harassment and interpersonal stuff aside, there's also the element of like field work is intense. It's intense, it's physically, intense. mentally. And physically, mentally, I know we both have stories about very scary things happening to us in the field where we were legitimately scared for our life. And have had to laugh it off in, in many cases. And how is that not traumatic? In many different ways, there were stressful things that happened that weren't our fault. Yeah. I think there's a lot of power in hearing you say that, acknowledging that there are certain things that simply were not our fault. They're not our fault. It's such a big system and 
having some compassion. I still hear stories. I I feel they're fewer and farther between. And I think a big part of that change has been there are more women and people who aren't men in power positions. And that's not to say all men are bad, not by a long shot, but we need to recognize the historical realities of power relationships as they pertain to gender. There is a relationship there and not just that, but, um, you know, acknowledging different ways of doing archaeology. And this, I think, is part of that decolonization aspect. Absolutely. And I think as archaeology is shifting to be hopefully much more inclusive and diverse and taking more of a community perspective and it needs to become gentler and people need care and support. Because I think the way the culture was before coming into that uh, as someone who is a minority or feels discrimination or is maybe not neurotypical, or like there's so many reasons why you would just opt out as at one point I did. And then we lose that from the discipline. Because the only people who are left, they all sound and look the same. Exactly. And then it, it's just so hard to enter that. What would we look for on our teams? We, you know, we have this privilege now of, for, of um, hindsight, right? That's what time yeah. gives us is the privilege of hindsight. And, and we have the privilege of experience as well. And so what kind of signs can we look for in people to help break this cycle of trauma and to help break this uh, broken culture? As you say, we are now in roles. We old, you can say it. <laughs> we now are in the leadership roles. We are now the people that are the teachers and the bosses and the leaders. And in that, we get to make change in the culture. But to do that, we need to do our own reflection. I have found the past three years very difficult. Initially, not by choice. I got a little bit of distance from archaeology because of COVID, which yeah. a, a silver lining, it allowed me to step back a bit. Um, but then what happened after that little bit of space is everything came crashing back. One thing was I de- developed debilitating back pain, which I now know is trauma stored in my body. How did I learn that? Because That happened to me too. I know. I know. Yeah. Exactly. Um, how did I learn that? By going to see a somatic counselor. And so a somatic counselor was an individual whom I was would speak to. But as I was speaking to her about trauma and history and all of that, she was basically reading my body and being like, did you know that when you talk about this incident, your shoulders go up or your foot, you know, whatever it is. And so we started to examine where I store trauma So I have also been doing somatic counseling. Okay, look at this overlap. (laughs) And also shout out to the somatic counselors in the world. Shout out. Uh, Also (laughs) learning about how my nervous system responds and how these experiences are stored in my body and how I respond. Somatic counseling, what it showed me was how I store trauma, but it also showed me I have a lot more work to do. It showed me that I actually had become a master at camouflage. And it was coming out in like strange ways. I have basically developed all these habits of like the toughness and the powering through, but that was serving no one. It was giving me a short fuse. I was in physical pain. I wasn't sleeping well. I mean, you name it. (laughs) And it's just like the real, like the real cost of those experiences. Right. Exactly. And so 
what I ended up doing for me is I had to take time away. And so in 2021, when everything started to open up again and everything got turned up to 11, I basically had like a mental break and I had to step away uh, from work for six weeks, which I now know was not nearly enough time. And I was also coping with the reality that I never took uh, mat leave with either of my kids, which was not great. I I just was like, I got to power through this. I just had major abdominal surgery and I'm just going to keep going. And so that was really hard as well. But being able to reflect upon that, um, it's caused me to like redefine uh, what's important. I think I'm hypersensitive to women in particular who have this like bravado or toughness and are trying to get through who, who basically the same as me. As I, yeah. as I was. And I mean, I had that too, because I thought you had to. Yeah. And and maybe at that point we did to keep ourselves safe. As leaders in our field, what's our obligation then to younger archaeologists? I think we have an obligation to talk about it even when it's uncomfortable. And it is uncomfortable. It's super uncomfortable. Like I, it's hard for me. Um, and I thought about not doing this because it's uncomfortable. We have an obligation to speak the truth and provide mentorship in that way and modeling in that way. Be aware and see people. If something seems off, like if someone had said, like, are you really okay? If someone had called me out, we couldn't have done that for each other because we were both so in it, right? No, we, we were because we were mirroring each other. Yeah, and and the world around us. And because we were in such an insular environment, there was no outside person that wasn't in archaeology to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I think we have an obligation to the younger generation to be the person that people will listen to in a very gentle way. Yeah. And the other thing I think about, too, is like signaling that I'm open to talking about it. For example, someone asked me, why do you put your pronouns after your name? We know you're she, her. And I was like, yeah, I know I'm she, her too. It's simply signaling that there is space to not be she, her. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> right? that's so important to people in my nuclear family or non-binary. It's super important. Exactly. And so it's hard to, it, to be inclusive of all people. Like we need to signal that that is actually true. Exactly. And I think signal that we are learning and that we are trauma-informed and being trauma-informed. So it's not like trauma-informed full stop, but more like we're exploring what that means. And doing the education and the learning and the hard reflection and the uncomfortable things to actually do that. And there's so much work to do. And I think in terms of like around harassment and, and things like that, changing the culture, like in our day, I wouldn't have dreamed of making an incident report about harassment. What? That Those were huge incidents. I, I, and they were happening probably daily. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, yeah, like we're up in whatever forestry camp. There'll be some sexual harassment. That's just how it goes. Mm -hmm. But like the world's changing. I think we have the obligation as a company and a discipline and as individuals to like be verbal. And I can think of so many times that I, I witnessed racism and harassment and all sorts of things. And I absolutely wouldn't have been safe for me to speak up at that moment. But I want it to be a culture where like those things don't just get forgotten and disappeared and normalized where it's like it is talked about. It is recorded as an incident of some kind. 
there is accountability. And to make it known that there is no space for people or actions like that. And if we want it to people to feel inclusive, that needs to change and be allies and speak out. It involves like a level of vulnerability that we were not trained to have. We were not trained to be vulnerable and we were not trained to talk about our feelings. And so what we have to do then is like model behavior that we're not 100% comfortable with in the hopes that the next generation can gain comfort earlier and so on. And then it breaks that cycle, you know, and you've also been exploring um, this topic of mental health in our company, in Clienza. And so can you speak to that a little bit, like what you've been learning? I've been trying to do my own learning and then some professional learning. And I think just trying to signal, as you said, that it is an open, accepting place to talk about these things. And whether that's burnout, whether that's harassment, whether that's anything, like not to just brush it off, signaling that like it's something we take seriously and we're thinking about and it is a real thing. And there are individuals have the the support of the bigger company and the bigger system. Yeah. To deal with that. And and that this is a type of safety, you know, in our industry, it's all about safety, safety, safety. Is the truck safe? Is the, you know, is the helicopter safe? Are your tools safe? But we need to extend that level of detail to like, is it safe? Is it just safe? safe? Are you safe? Are you are you well? Are you, yeah, are you well? Are you feeling that you can do this? Uh, do you feel safe after this other thing that happened? No, you don't? Okay, then it's not a safe place to be. Yeah, and, and I think bringing it up in safety meetings, bringing it up in company meetings every time. Uh, we do our safety share about like, I don't know, logging trucks and- Logging truck went off the road. <laughs> but then like, we will be doing a, a safety share about- interpersonal or mental health or something that like it matters just as much and I think changing the culture where if if there is incidents where people struggle with any of these things like we encourage and gently help people get the care they need so it isn't just another generation that's piling on trauma exactly and that no one gets punished for it because these things are not their fault they are not their fault Is there anything that you would say then to a new generation of archaeologists who are considering coming into this field, who are aware of the history of, let's say, machismo, who maybe listen to perhaps this podcast, perhaps something else where they're like, wow, that sounds like a really scary. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that sounds like a really scary field. I think I would say that also in field work in archaeology, I've had the most empowering, exciting, amazing experiences. And yes, they have been overshadowed by some that were really hard. But I think, as you said, it is changing. The generation is changing. There are many more safe spaces and the world is changing in terms of like more and more ability and permission to speak out safely. This feels both really good and hard to talk about at the same really time. Hard it's like it's like scratching a scar. <laughs> it's hard to talk about. It's hard to talk about. But it is um, so important to talk about. Yeah. Is there anything about this topic? Because I know you consider it very thoughtfully that you wanted to make sure was captured that we haven't captured. What I would have needed or what, what we do need going forward is just more gentleness, more care, more humility for the people that we're working with. To do archaeology, you shouldn't have to be willing to give up 
your autonomy and your body and your mind simply because of your career. I'm sure the discipline, I know it has lost so many interesting, unique, brilliant voices. Yeah. That's sad. I'm experiencing all this from like a settler perspective. Um, Absolutely. An Indigenous person doing archaeology, like how much more trauma and intensity of experience right that would be yeah we want to be clear about that we do not we are not claiming the monopoly of trauma and heritage that is not uh what we're doing like we're coming very specifically from the privileged position of white settlers in canada and that there are much larger discussions related to other types of traumas and intergenerational trauma related to archaeology very much. And I also was reflecting on how much more intense and triggering as a Indigenous person to that land. And if we want to make room in archaeology for more of that perspective and voices, like we absolutely need to be trauma-informed and gentle and have space for that. I love you. I wish we talked about this sooner. I know. I think we'll we'll leave it there. I think this is a topic that's raw um, and that we're both exploring. And so for me, I want to continue to model being a safe space, leading a safe company where this is not tolerated. And when it comes to my attention, I want to make sure it never just passes by again without being addressed. Absolutely. I want to keep working on having the ability and the confidence to, to speak about it. It's a real gift to be able to like reflect upon that shared time that we had with this new perspective. I don't think everyone gets that. No. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for bringing this up as a topic. And thanks for helping to move this needle and like change what archaeology is. It's it's a good it's a good legacy. Yeah, it's important. It's healing work. Thanks Amanda to be continued this topic. Yes, bye. Bye. <laughs> Hey folks, thanks for listening to this episode of Dig This. If you have any questions or there's something you'd like us to dig into, reach out online. You can find and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Dig This Pod. If you dig us, leave us a review and tune in next week for a new episode.